How's it going, everyone? Man, I got the zoomies after that worship. That was great. Zoomies, not a biblical term. I'm all set. How are you folks? That's great. Love it. I'm great. Thanks. Take a sip of water. I'll be ready to go. Uh, My name is Daniel Makeda, as Brad introduced, and today we return to our sermon series called Blessed, Living in the Truth of Jesus. And the goal of this series is to to equip ourselves to live in the truth during our cultural moment here in Los Angeles. So again, the goal, to equip ourselves to live in the truth of Jesus during our cultural moment in Los Angeles. So we're studying the introductory lines from the beginning of a sermon that Jesus gave, a very famous sermon called the Sermon on the Mount, and these lines are called the Beatitudes. So in the lines of the Beatitudes, Jesus teaches the true identity of his disciples as well as true blessing what true disciples are, what true blessing is, and how we live as Jesus' disciples as a result of this. So this week we're studying the fourth beatitude, which is... Does anyone know? Blessed, Blessed? yeah. (laughs) Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. And by the way, that is in Matthew 5, if you want to turn there. Read it for yourself. 5, 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. So before we dive into what that means, let's do a little recap of what the Beatitudes are. Beatitudes are given by Jesus. He's a man in the country of Israel 2,000 years ago who's causing a commotion He's walking the roads of an area called Galilee at this point in the story. And he's by this big sea called the Sea of Galilee. And he calls some fishermen and some other guys to come and be his disciples. That is, to leave their nets, to leave their boats, and come and learn from his teachings as truth, as the way. And so he's going around to synagogues and proclaiming the kingdom, the arrival of the kingdom, And what's even crazier is that he's not only telling people the news of the kingdom of God and its coming, but he's also supernaturally healing people of seizures and paralyzation, demon oppression, and diseases. So it's not just this guy is coming and saying a bunch of words. He's doing things that gives credence. And so crowds of people begin to follow him, not just from a neighboring town, but from all over Israel, a whole area around Galilee, but also even in Jerusalem. They're coming down to see what this is all about. And so when we enter this context of the sermon and the Beatitudes, Jesus goes up on a mountain with his disciples, and he sits down to teach his disciples. But there's this big old crowd there, and so they're listening in. So that's, that's the picture, is that Jesus is teaching his disciples about the identity of disciples, that is, the people who have come to follow Jesus, and the crowd's listening in. So that's kind of cool. Because we find ourselves, either the crowd listening in, who are not committed, and we find those who are like, I am all in on Jesus. So that's, that's, that's us, too, in a way. We're reading Jesus' words. That's cool. So here we get to listen to what Jesus taught about his kingdom, and he opens up with the 
the Beatitudes, which are probably some of the most famous pieces of Scripture ever. Not just in the Bible, but like across all religions. Like People know the Beatitudes. I don't know if we realize that growing up in the church, but Beatitudes are super famous. And so it's really important that we understand them, especially if we call ourselves a disciple of Jesus. So let's do it. Let's understand what it means to hunger and thirst for righteousness, righteousness, to be blessed and to hunger and thirst for righteousness because, as we said, Jesus is describing who a follower of Jesus is, what it means to be called, like one of the disciples that he said, hey, come follow me around the Sea of Galilee. What does it mean to take on a new identity once we've said, yes, I'm with you, Jesus? This is important stuff. So we'll break this down. First, we'll talk about biblical righteousness. We'll talk about hunger and thirst, and then what it means to be satisfied. Simple enough. So righteousness, and what it means to hunger and thirst, and then what it means to be satisfied. I'm going to pray for us. Is that cool? More prayer. Let's do it. Holy Spirit, we, uh, we are aware that you're here among your church. And we open our hands to receive what you would teach us as we look into the Bible. Understand, not just for knowledge's sake, but because we love you. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray and that we live. Amen. All right, so righteousness. Righteousness in the Bible has three main aspects. Ready? Moral, social, and legal. So the three main aspects of righteousness in the Bible. Moral righteousness, social righteousness, and legal righteousness. All right, first, moral righteousness. Moral righteousness is the character and conduct that is in accordance with God's design for the world and for humans. So according to the Bible, God, spoiler, God who is Jesus, designed the world and humans, and he designed it wonderful and good, and he set into motion the processes of the entire planet and universe. He ordered gravity and tide schedules and photosynthesis and the dew on the ground and light storms and lions. Even more, he carefully knit the world together with wisdom and knowledge and ethics and goodness and morality and a right way to live in harmony with yourself, with others, and with God. God designed humans to walk with him on earth in his good and wonderful ways. Walking in the ways of God is what is right. And because he's good, and because what he says is good, and because he designed everything, what he says goes. And following his design is a result. It will result in goodness for the earth and for its people. And that's righteousness. So the opposite of righteousness is what? Scary word sounding. Wickedness. And that's the counterpath against the grain of God's ordering of the world. And wickedness is the selfishly motivated, self-guided way for pleasure and self-satisfaction. Taking things into our own hands, as it were. And so we can say, when we pursue the path of wickedness, like, thank you, God, for all this that you've made, the mountains and laughter and my friends and the beach. But I got this. And so that's what's illustrated in 
the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve are presented with a choice. I can choose God's commands, which will go well for me and others on the earth, or I can choose my own way. And when Adam and Eve rebel, bad things happen. And so as a human, we align ourselves in the story, believe it's true. As a human, designed by God, you have a choice given to you by Him to follow His way of righteousness or to go the opposite way, against the grain of the design of the earth and with the grain of culture or self-satisfaction. Story. When I was in middle school, there was a time when my dad had this time. He decided whether or not he was going to go. Uh, he had this choice of righteousness. So here it goes. My dad, some of you have met him, Francisco. Great guy. He's a Spaniard, an immigrant. Came to the United States and married my mother. Wonderful. Didn't have a job. He was a bodybuilder in Spain. Doesn't work out like that in South Mississippi. <laughs> he managed a gym and so... Because of his fascination with the design of muscles and people, he got into kinesiotherapy school, and, which is really cool. I'm really proud of him for that. Like, Spanish is his first language. English is his second language. So he worked hard and got his degree. And in South Mississippi, there's not a lot of opportunities to work as a kinesiotherapist, and so he had to wait for that to happen. And... There's a, you know, he worked various like clinical jobs, entry-level things. He was MRI tech. But then, finally, it came. The opportunity, and he got hired as a kinesiotherapist. And it was a company that was government-grant-funded. So it got its money from the government. And after working there, my dad started to realize that the company was lying about their patients getting better. And they asked my dad, you need, we need you to keep your patients so that we can have more patients. So that even though they're getting better, we need you to say that they're not. And my dad was like, this is not right. And he told them. He was like, this is, this is lying. This is bad. I, I'm, I'm having some confusion here. Could you explain this? And it was such a big deal that the CEO from Houston came to talk to my dad. Like he drove the next, that very next week to talk to my dad. And he offered my dad a position. He said, Francisco, you do a great job, you do great work, and I want you to be the renal manager for all the, the clinics in the South, the kinesiology clinics. And my dad was like, Oof, this is a pretty big deal. This is a great opportunity, American dream. And so my dad, he said, I'm a Christian man, and I must talk to my wife, and I must pray. So he goes to my mom, and they're like, this is what's happened. My mom flips out. She goes, it's a trap! <laughs> That's the way of wickedness. That's not righteous, Francisco. He's like, oh, you're right. I almost did it. But that, uh, it's kind of the opposite of the Adam and Eve story. Way to go, Mom. Hey, Mom. Uh, um, so he refused the offer. And the, man, the CEO told my dad, don't even put your two weeks in. You're done. And so there my dad was with my mom, kid in middle school, jobless for doing the right thing. Isn't that nuts? Isn't that injustice? That's so bad. So my dad took up carpentry. Had some experience doing that in Spain, and he's a very smart man. Became a carpenter. And I got to see my dad a lot more. Cool byproduct. That changed our family for the better. Even more, seven years later, my American grandma 
she found a newspaper clipping in the local paper, and it was about my dad's company, his ex-company. The higher-ups of that entire company, it was like a dozen people all went to prison for lying. My dad was like, oh. <laughs> if you follow, the, the world is designed for us to do what is right. And that's not saying that like, you won't experience hardship. My dad was jobless and had to change careers. And there, we, we were without money for a time. The Bible chronicles humans going two ways, or both ways. No one person does it. Some people do right, and then those same people will do wrong, satisfying themselves with the way of wickedness, straying from what is right. And some result of the wickedness is temporary thirst quenching, but it only ends in turmoil and imprisonment, so to speak. When people decide to go their own way and satisfy themselves in anything except God's way of moral righteousness, things go poorly. Another story, not my dad, but Abraham and Sarah. Important people in the Genesis. You know where this is going if you know the story. God makes a promise to Abraham. He says, you'll have a son and lots of descendants that will bless the entire world. Whoa. Big meaning. Big excitement. Even though Sarah and Abraham are already old... And past the time of children, God makes his promise. The couple gets tired of waiting, and they get nervous and impatient. And so Sarah's like, okay, Abraham, I got a plan. Here's my maid. Why don't you sleep with her? She's a part of our home, part of our house. That's, you can have a son by her, and that will technically give us a kid. But we know that that's not right. Like, you don't have to know anything to know that that's messed up. And not righteous, but they do it. And they go against the, what God has set up as right. And Hagar has a son, and then bad things happen. Hagar and Sarah get into it. Sarah resents Hagar, not like she anticipated. Oh, it'll be fine, but no, like it, it's broken. And because of this, Hagar is banished into the desert to die with her son there. That was cute. (laughs) Because of Abraham and Sarah's choice, Hagar gets abused. She's banished to the desert. Like, and that's so wrong. And they were just trying to make God's promise happen. Like, you know, this is basically right. Kind of. Like, you know, it's not exactly right, but it it makes sense. It'll be a son. It'll fulfill God's promise. But no, it's it's all wrong. Key point, sidebar, God still provides in the midst of human wickedness. He ends up rescuing Hagar and her son, Ishmael, even though they were dealt unjustly. And he does come through on his promise for Abra- to Abraham and Sarah, even though they try to take things in their own hand. God does not forsake his people. Still, there is a way that we should go. And you may lose your job, or you may be embarrassed, or miss out. But God's commands, I mean, they're just, they're not easy. And they take commitment, but they are good. Um, On that idea of not easy in design, speaking of the Huttons, um, I was, I spent a lot of time at their house because my fiance lives there. What? Leanne? (laughs) So we were in the kitchen and uh, Ian and Evie were giving Caleb some medicine. 
And if you don't know, Caleb is their elementary school age son. I think he's in first grade or kindergarten. So he had to take his medicine. And Evie told him the right way to do it. Evie said, this, Caleb, this is not, it's not meant, you, just, you need to knock it back. Get it over with. It's not meant to be tasty. Just knock it back. But Caleb will sip on it slowly, just making himself miserable. For she said that if he, she doesn't stay on him, he will spend a whole hour just like, okay, I got some. Okay, I got some. And I used to do that same thing, which is crazy, like with homework or whatever. Small example, there's a right way that things are meant to be done. Like that will go better for you to do that. And that is the way that God has set up the world in an extent. And Evie loves Caleb, even if he sips on it. Like, let's get that peace, like, that God doesn't forsake his people. But there is a right way to go. All right, social righteousness is the next piece of biblical righteousness. So, biblical righteousness is more than just a personal affair. It includes social righteousness as well. And according to the Bible, when people go their own way, the opposite way of righteousness the opposite way of the one true God. Bad things happen to them, but also to others. And the others around are affected, no matter what. There's no, sin is no personal affair, though it is personal. It's communal and social. And just like the story of Abraham and, and Sarah, Sarah suffered because of injustice. It was not her fault. Abraham and Sarah didn't trust in God to satisfy them, to fulfill God's promise, became impatient is what they did. They, they took their own control instead of relenting to the control of God. They went a counter way. And where does that leave Hagar? In the desert with her dying son. Can you imagine like, the mental suffering of that? You know that that stuff happens today? Not, I mean, this is millennia later. But this is, this is, we're the same people. And some wickedness is completely obvious, like dishonesty and murder and slander and perversion and stealing. But those are obvious. And we say, I don't do any of those. But what's going on on the part of Sarah and Abraham? They are impatient. And they're manipulating. And they're desiring what the culture says they need to have. A son, a family. And God told them that He would provide it. But they are impatient. And they satisfy their own hunger and their own thirst in their own way. And it ends up in social brokenness for people. And that is not right. The alternative to righteousness is physical, emotional, and mental injustice. And so righteousness is not a personal affair. It affects individuals, family, children, and nations. And the good news is God cares about those who suffer. In the Bible, there are books, law books and prophetic books, entire books that are donated and written to call out the moral failure of social righteousness on the part of God's people. God is concerned for social righteousness. He's concerned with seeking man's liberation from oppression, men and women. From their oppression, he's promoting civil rights and justice and, and law courts, integrity and business and dealings and, and the home and family affairs for men and women and children and, and all people. That that is a part of God's character. And righteousness includes justice for those who've been downtrodden and who have experienced injustice. God is about flourishing. Like the creation of the world was meant 
When you created it, it was, it's meant and designed to flourish. God's all about it. One of the most important stories of the Bible is about the Israelites' slavery in Egypt. They're experiencing injustice for 400 years of slavery. And they cry out. The Bible says they cried out to God. And he heard them. And he raises up Moses. And supernatural plagues and events and wonders. And liberates, he liberates the Israelites. Not because the Israelites are good or deserving or pitiful, but because God is good. That's his character. That's good news. So those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, they crave justice. And as a disciple of Jesus, you are to crave social righteousness to be done in and around the earth. And so disciples of Jesus have an appetite for liberation from oppressors. oppressors. God is all about it. Jesus, in the book of John, says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering the sight of the blind to set the, at liberty those who are oppressed. It's an Old Testament thing and it's a New Testament thing. The whole breadth of God's of the universe's existence. Like, Social righteousness is a part of that. You, it's not ignored. And if we're disciples of Jesus, then we go for it with Him. We're, we're about it. We are to hunger and thirst for social righteousness in the world and to participate with Him. God intends for us to go righteous way. Legal righteousness, the third one. But don't forget, we still got a couple more things after that. We're not wrapping up yet. So legal righteousness is the third aspect of biblical righteousness. And it refers to a right relationship with God. A right standing before Him. A justified standing. Not guilty standing is when you are legally righteous before God. But that's a big problem. Because who can stand before God and be counted as a righteous person? Who has done no wrong? And who is able to fix the wrong that we've done? Everybody's done wrong, morally and socially, and that's, that's just true. Proverbs 9.20 says, Who can say, I have made my heart pure? I am clean from my sin. Who on earth goes the way of righteousness the entire time? My dad, Francisco? Just ask my mom. <laughs> Abraham, he's a pretty important guy in the Bible, you know? The prophets? The Israelites? No. The Bible chronicles so many stories. And in these stories we see people, regular people like Abraham and Sarah, messing up and then trying to fix their mess but creating bigger messes. Essentially, they have the same sins that we did. I mentioned them before. Impatience. Perversion. Desiring what the culture of the world says lying to ourselves and to others, and the result is unrighteousness for ourselves and for others. Failure to care for people properly. If we're honest with ourselves, this is, this is true, like with our relationships, like our parents and our kids, co-workers. You have suffered and have caused others to suffer. It's just life is pain, so to speak.
unable to rescue ourselves out of slavery and oppression, trapped in Egypt in a way, unable to create social righteousness for ourselves, needing a savior, needing someone to quench our hunger and our thirst for righteousness. So hunger and thirst. Y'all with me? Um, when I was a kid, there's this bizarre instance that would happen to me at night. Too often. Especially during the, the summers of Mississippi, where the very air you breathe is a humid mess of tropical rainforest atmosphere where the mosquitoes are birds and the birds are hot too. <laughs> and you just sweat all the time. <laughs> and even hugging the AC and rubbing ice on your forehead does not squelch the heat. Or, I don't know if you use that word right. It sounds poetic. Anyways, especially during this time of the summer, I would wake up from the deep sleep, unable to speak because of how unbelievably thirsty I was. And I was like, like an overwhelming thirst it's where you're tearing out of bed. There's no time to go to get a glass of water. I'm going straight to that faucet. And you're just, God. Does that happen to anyone before? Yeah. That, I don't, is no one walked, woken up from a, an unbelievable thirst? Like you're unbelievably thirsty? And that's the result of like going days without drinking enough water and not realizing it. Like, when I went to bed, I didn't even realize that I hadn't drank anything. Otherwise, I would have. But you just put it off, I guess, when you're a kid. I don't know. Um, you don't just get desperately thirsty overnight. But there are, like, I, I, so far as I can figure, there's three reasons why I... Uh, I was unbelievably thirsty. One was my environment, the gnarly heat of Mississippi. But then also my body was straight designed to need water. And then I loved popsicles. <laughs> and that may sound like a joke or something, but that's 100%. My mom would buy these cardboard boxes that had like sheets of popsicle pouches that didn't come frozen. You would, you have these in California? You put, you put them in the fridge yourself. And so if I was real cheeky and slick, I could... Uh, put a bunch of those in the fridge, and I would just munch on those things all day, unbeknownst to my mom during the summer. And that was my way of uh, uh, satisfying my, my thirst, quenching. But if you know anything about sugar, even though it's flavory and delicious, sugary drinks make you feel quenched for a little while, but you end up more thirsty. It takes water to digest sugar. And I would wake up at night, probably clinically dehydrated because I wasn't drinking enough water, and then even more, I was filling myself up with counterfeit thirst quencher that left me more thirsty. So in this beatitude, this fourth one, what was it? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Jesus is using a po poetic illustration for a physical reality that parallels a spiritual reality. There are spiritual realities. And like our physical dependence on Food and water, humans also depend on spiritual sustenance. It's just true. And that's the righteousness of God, according to Jesus. The moral, social, and legal righteousness. And as a disciple of Jesus, we must be aware that we crave, desire, and need, straight up designed, for His righteousness. That's, if, if you're a Christian, that's what you believe. 
And just like our physical hunger and thirst, spiritual hunger and thirst cannot be quenched through self-efforts. We cannot make ourselves unthirsty or unhungry. Whether you buy it at Trader Joe's or pluck it off a tree or your mom or dad gives you food or the waiter brings it to you, food comes from outside yourself. You cannot, in your own efforts, produce righteousness by... It's the same for quenching your thirst. You cannot sit there and do it. It has to come from outside. You and I are dependent on something external coming in and satisfying us. And if you're not satisfied of your hunger and thirst, you will die of starvation and dehydration. That is just true. You can't go on eating popsicles or soda or coffee. You must drink water. If you go on drinking and eating counterfeits, you will wake up in the night, maybe even realize it, without realizing how dangerously thirsty you were, frantic for sustenance. And Jesus is telling you and me that we must drink and eat righteousness and only righteousness and that's what he gives. Real quick, there's two different kinds of counterfeits. One, there's what is obvious. The temporary relief and satisfaction that the opposite of righteousness brings, like lying and stealing and manipulating, that temporarily brings relief. That's why we do it. But there's also a sneaky one, which is mistaking the gifts for the giver. And what I mean by that is sunset watching, Hiking, yoga, book reading, traveling, friendship, a right relationship with your parents, happy kids, a job, security, and savings. These are good things that God provides and blesses us with, but they are not meant to satisfy you and me, and they should not be pursued in themselves. You must look at the sunbeam and realize, this is a quote from C.S. Lewis, that the warmth and the light and the vitamin D comes from the sun. Look at the plate and the food and the cup of water in front of you and realize that there's a loving Father who set it for you. It would be wrong to love the plate and love the cup. It is Jesus loving you as He has poured Himself out. Realize that God loves you. And Jesus drank the death-filled cup that we legally deserved for our unrighteousness. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death and that those who choose their own way rather than the way of God's perfect and good righteousness deserve to die. That's a big deal. Those who choose their own way to satisfy themselves like Sarah and Abraham ultimately cause injustice to themselves and to other humans and God. Yet Jesus does not forsake us. Instead of condemning us, the person whose words are here, this, the person who spoke this beatitude, Jesus, he came and did not condemn us. He, he did not pass up the cup that we deserved for our moral and social and legal unrighteousness. Because guess what? He was the one person in the Bible who lived a perfectly righteous life. He perfectly aligned himself with God's righteousness. He perfectly served the socially downtrodden and oppressed. He was the only person to ever have been legally righteous before God on his own accord. Because at the same time, he is and, and was God. Come to earth as a human, not to condemn the world, but to save it. And through him, we can have peace and satisfaction. 
God accepts Jesus' righteousness in place of our failure. And through Jesus, we become legally righteous before God. As Paul the Apostle wrote in the Bible, he said, you are justified through faith in Jesus. That's the only way. So some of you hear this stuff about righteousness and you think, all right, I've got to be more uh, morally righteous. Let's do it. I've got to find out how to live better. Maybe you thought, I need to do more social justice. I need to liberate the captives. I've got to find some oppressed people and break the chains and, or maybe right all the wrongs that have been done by evil people. And there's some truth to that. We do live a certain way as a result of this beatitude that Jesus is giving us. We pursue to align ourselves with God's definition of right and wrong. But the beginning of our pursuit must begin with legal righteousness through Jesus. We cannot do it for ourselves. If we pursue righteousness on our own accord, then it's self-serving. When Jesus declares you righteous for putting your faith in Him, when He gives you that faith, then you're at rest. You're at rest to love others, to do justice, to live free because you have been declared righteous. So it's no longer a self-serving effort. God has given you what you thirst and hunger for. Jesus has done it for us. And through faith in Him, through the acceptance of His Lordship over our lives, through the answering of the call to be His disciple, not to be just a member of the crowd, we accept this call. And we're declared righteous through what He accomplished. So realize His love and care for you. He's calling you into the way that you're meant to live in the world, and He provided the way. He provided Himself and welcomes you into the family so you can rest knowing that Jesus has accomplished righteousness for you. He satisfies your thirst and your hunger. Last thing. I'll take a swig. Things people might say. A person might say, I tried that. I tried Jesus, but I'm still thirsty. I'm still hungry. First, well, did you really come out of the crowd? Remember when we set up the beginning? That there's the crowd, and then there's those who have given everything to Jesus? Like Marissa told Juan so long ago, you can't be like 75% Christian. You can't be 50% Christian. You've got to be all in. It is all or nothing. You can't be partially justified. You've got to put your faith in Jesus 100%. It's Him or nothing. You've got to put down your net, so to speak, and follow Him. Sit with Him and and devote your life to Him. He's God, after all. Second thing, if you say, I tried Jesus, but I'm still thirsty and hungry. The promise of Jesus is that whoever gives, whoever drinks of the water will never thirst again. But on this side of eternity, they, of eternity that is only fulfilled if we keep drinking. Like, so keep going to Him. If you're a disciple of Jesus and you're hungry and thirsty, go to Him. 
Quit trying to do your own efforts to make yourself righteous or do justice out of the self-serving. Realize that you're at peace with God if you're in Christ. And go to Him. Don't wait. You'll, it's like going to bed without drinking water, you know? I don't know. So don't give up hope, even though we experience hunger and thirst. Because the day is coming when etern- we will be eternally satisfied. The completion of the kingdom will happen. Right now, Christ's final satisfaction isn't fully here. Heaven has not fully arrived. Heaven has come. And it is already, but it's also not yet. Later on in the Sermon on the Mount, we see that all of Jesus' disciples are to pray for His kingdom to come. At the end of time, it will come in completion. And the final, finally, the day will come when eternal righteousness, the feast of righteousness, happens. And it contains the bread of life and the living water forever. And the renewal of all things will take place. There will be no more sin, hurting, pain, or darkness forever. And the captives will be set free. And the Psalms say, and Revelation says, even the rivers will clap their hands and the mountains will sing for joy that their liberator has finally come. The freedom and joy of the kingdom of heaven will be here and the parched earth will celebrate and be blessed because righteousness will have arrived forever. And we will be eternally satisfied, eternally full, forever quenched because of Jesus. So what's next? Like where do we go from here after the sermon? There's a story about two sisters and Jesus that happens in, in the book of John. Martha and Mary. Jesus comes to their house and Martha is in the kitchen doing all this stuff, preparing the house, the food, everything for Jesus. And Mary is in the other room with Jesus just sitting and listening to him. And Martha's like, She's ticked at her sister because she's not doing stuff. But Jesus says, Martha, your sister Mary has chosen the better choice. So let's go and like the disciples on the Sermon on the Mount, and like Mary, let's sit at Jesus' feet, like either now at communion or like at home today. Like actually do that. Let's not forget that we don't just read a book, the Bible. Like God's Spirit is here. And so I I encourage you to sit with him and ask him what is next for you. Ask him for conviction of of where you can go and, and be in accordance with his righteousness. Forsake your folly and live. Forsake your sin. Join the God in all of the world and and ask him, what, what do I need to do to go and, and help liberate the captives for you, Jesus? How can I join you in, in social righteousness and justice for the nations? But don't be like Martha and, and try to do it all yourself or frantically run about and search for alternate ways of satisfaction. He will satisfy you. But you have a, a, a spirit of God as a believer. If you're in Christ, the spirit is with you. So listen to him. Don't do, do what he says. Do what the Spirit tells you to do. And I pray that he convicts you and me of, of where to go. Because 
the great news is we don't have to legally justify ourselves. Jesus has done it. So we get to do and live and pursue righteousness not because we have to earn it or because we have to satisfy ourselves, but because we get God loves us. He loves you. And His peace and love motivates us to do good, to act right, rightly and to participate in social righteousness, to go the right way and participate with God, setting the captives free, not because we have to earn His legal righteousness, because Jesus has done that. So pray and ask the Spirit to show you what's next, and then go. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Thanks.